Hey, welcome to Human Potential Multiply. My hope is that this podcast gives you access to conversations, perspectives, and experiences that allow you to explore how you can show up as your true and best self in all that you do. I'll share my thoughts on life, entrepreneurship, and how organizations can build people-first performance cultures which allow individuals and teams to thrive. I'll also be speaking to thought leaders, founders, entrepreneurs, and true leaders from all backgrounds, from business, HR and talent, sport, technology, and also some unsung heroes who are doing amazing work under the radar to bring about transformation for themselves and others. This podcast is for dreamers, change makers, and anyone who is seeking a fulfilled, purposeful, and connected life. So, let's get into it. This is what you can expect from today's episode. You know, who are you? How can you, how can you tap into who you are to do your absolute best work? How can I enable you to, do, to perform at your best by helping you find your motivations, your strengths? Um, and that was, that was quite transformational. Turn those values into behaviors and the behaviors are how we define, how we expect people to show up at work. And this, I think, is, is what's called like co-creation, um, like looking at the user experience. As I just turn to the employees and go, what do you need from me? <laughs> the, the people experience sits at the intersection between people's needs and business needs because it's a mutually beneficial relationship. You can't measure what you can't define and you can't improve what you can't measure. Today, I'm joined by Marie Krebs. Marie is a PX design lead at Learnably, which is a curated learning platform that's on a mission to build the best place that anyone will ever work. Now, what an incredible mission. And her role, essentially, she's a product manager, except the product is the employee experience. So together with her team, they're creating and driving a people-centric and high-performance culture, which is super fascinating to me and very much aligned to where I spend my time and what I'm focused on too. So I can't wait to have this conversation with Marie. Marie also co-founded People Stories, which many of our listeners might be familiar with, which is a remote, uh, largely London-centric community of progressive people people who are eager to make the world of work a better place. So you can imagine I was drawn there and I spend a lot of time in that community learning and sharing from the amazing set of individuals that Marie has curated and collected and the community that she's fostering in people's stories. So as always, I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that you too. So here it is, Human Potential Multiplied in conversation with Marie Krebs. Hello, Marie. Welcome to uh, Hello. Human Potential Multiplied. It's great to have you with me this morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Pleasure, pleasure. Now, it's been great getting to know you over the last few months, so I'm really looking forward to understanding you in more detail, getting under the, the skin a little bit to find out what made you you, and also diving into 
P-plus products because it's a fascinating area uh, and one that I know you're leading some of the conversation on. So great to have you with me. I like to start with who with my guests. I like to try and find out what makes them who they are. So as much as you're comfortable, Marie, and before actually before we do that, for those that don't mm-hmm. know you, just give us a bit of a flavour of who you are and what you do professionally. And then if you could, take me back to your early life and try and give me an understanding of what are the most significant life and work events that have made you, you. Okay. Um, well, let's start with the easy answer. I'm Marie. That's my name. Uh, I'm I'm French. I'm based in Paris. Uh, and how did I end up here? So if you want to circle back to early life, I did not actually know until I discovered learnably that it was that this line of work even existed. <laughs> I don't come from a family where people are particularly um, fulfilled in their jobs. And growing up, I didn't really think you had other options than being like a teacher or a nurse or like, you know, jobs that that I can see, that I can experience in my, in my life as a child, because that's also part of uh, the line of work that, that my parents were in. And so I joined Learnably um in 2018 as as ops manager um i'm in london back then i've just finished a sort of unpaid internship that turned into my first ever job um and and i'm i'm looking for something where i don't have to work weekends because i'm not paid during my internship right <laughs> um so so that's the background and I joined Learnably as, yeah, ops. So I was doing a bit of everything, anything that needed to be done, really. So a third of my role was EA to the CEO. A third of my role was um, the office work. And a third of my role was GDPR. Oh, um, the big the big one. Which <laughs> <laughs> I, I ended up loving it. I don't know if it's uh, some kind of Stockholm syndrome yeah. or what, but I, I I really ended up loving loving that, that type of work. Um, and so because Learnably is a, a learning and development marketplace uh, that gives people learning budgets so that they can uh, enable their own performance, be in the driving seat and, and take ownership of their career and their growth, I discover that realm. And I'm like, wow, I can get paid to do that kind of work? Well, I'm not letting go of that. So I started going to absolutely every single networking event there was out there. I was at every webinar, I would read every book. And as a disclaimer, I was single and I didn't have a lot of friends <laughs> back then. So it was it was a huge portion of my personal life. You're asking about Marie the person? <laughs> well, there was a big overlap in that period. Um, and then, yeah, one thing led to another. I ended up getting the role as the first people person at Learnably. Uh, and that's that's how I that's how I started. Um, Amazing. And ended up here. Well, I want to come back to to that and and explore what you're doing and have been doing at Learnably. But before we do, you mentioned that growing up, you didn't even know that you could go into a a role or career that was sort of aligned to fulfillment and actually being, I guess, complete as a, as a human. And it wasn't just a, it sounded like work to you was something that was more transactional um, from from your perception. So. 
I wonder what what was the situation like, the setup like at home in terms of those around you, what they were doing for work, and why your perception of work was that it was something different than something that could fulfill you. Well, because I just didn't know it existed. I mean, my mom worked in a high school. My dad did like computer stuff um, at an airport. It's it, they were physical spaces. Right. People that surrounded me were like uh, like police officers, nurses, teachers, um, people who work in stores. Um, anything that's like in, in, invisible to the everyday, anything that's like, I don't know, being the boss of someone or engineer or, or anything that I couldn't see or experience that wasn't in my environment. I mean, it's it's a social class thing, I think, because right. uh, well, if uh, there's there's a bigger likelihood that you're going to be aware of those jobs if if it's part of your circles, or if you can go to the kind of school that focuses on that, and usually they're like business schools, and I I went to public uni, right. uh, and my parents are always telling me do something you love, and then the opportunities will arise. And so I studied literature and I was like, well, what do I do with that now? <laughs> I had the most fun, but I didn't want to be a literature teacher, right. which is why I then um, sort of ended up in the UK because someone told me, did you know that in the UK you can get a job that's not 100% aligned with your uni diploma? <laughs> and I was like, I'm going. <laughs> Sign me up. That's really interesting. That's fascinating. So. What was school like for you? What was your experience of school and education more broadly? Um, I uh, depends depends on on what aspect of the school experience we're talking. Um, I had pretty good grades. Um, I think I was like pretty quiet, quite sociable. Um, and then it really depends on like what school. Primary school uh, was nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, middle school, worst years of my life, was uh, bullied quite heavily. Um, high school kind of came into, into being. I was in the same class as my best friend, and we introduced alcohol to the high school, basically. Uh -oh. so, uh, <laughs> some very glorious years there. And, uh, and then at university, well, I, as soon as I got to university, I had only one thing in mind. It was how can I go as far as possible from where I am physically located? So I did an Erasmus year uh, a year early. I pushed my own agenda and ended up going to Spain at age 18 uh, to study English because I thought, why would I study English in the UK? Right? <laughs> they all crazy. speak English as well. If I go to Spain to study English, I'll speak English and I'll learn Spanish. Nicely done. So I did that. <laughs> <laughs> learn Spanish <laughs> um, and yeah so from from there on I think I, I had a better experience of school because it was more flexible so when I was on that Erasmus year I had the opportunity to just kind of make my own curriculum because there is no direct equivalent in right. terms of classes and so I could pick and choose um, by credit system and then when I came back to France, I did two undergrads in parallel to each other. And that was also like pretty cool. Um, 
and and also enabled by uh, some level of fluidity by by the university. Don't get me wrong; they were like, if your exams from your two different diplomas fall on the same day, it's your problem. Oh, that's <laughs> helpful. <laughs> and I was like, no, but it didn't happen. Um, but I was, I was I became quite hungry to like to start maximizing the potential that I that I, of of. I don't know, it's some sense of very like hungry curiosity and how much can I cram into just one year? Um, where, where do you think that um, where do you think that hunger and that curiosity was coming from and that drive to experience different things? Like you said, you had that real push to go and go to Spain and get away from where you said you were physically lo- located as soon as possible. What, what was driving that curiosity and that ambition to seek? I don't know. The, the... I think the the chemical reaction I had to my uh, environment. I think I don't know. I was I was quite a quite a rowdy teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah, I was in conflict with my environment at home. Um, I was a pain in the ass for my parents. I think is another way to phrase <laughs> it. And and I just needed to see something different. I needed freedom and then i needed to fill that freedom with something because mm-hmm. otherwise i was just going to be lost in some kind of or oh, expanding chaos so so i was looking for yeah for for things to to gnaw on mm-hmm. but that were as far as possible from from home uh, my parents are lovely it's it's a me <laughs> <laughs> is it again we don't have to talk too much about it but you know i think a lot of creative people tend to be quite difficult to handle when they're when they're younger um because I think I was I feel much better now yeah yeah, no no, you should (laughs) I think it's I think it's relatively common for creative people or people that have got an energy for change in them I know I I know I was um I was not 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 the easiest myself (laughs) quite quite challenging at times but do, do you think it gives you the gift of foresight for if if your child is um, is going to end up being well, a really creative person? Are you ready for this? I'm, I'm experiencing it right now. He's, he's he's two and a half, and he's already showing those signs. <laughs> so, oh, so great! He's already he's already challenging, but I I it, it's it's all in the right way. So I I'm constantly reframing. Like he's not being naughty. He's just. Um, testing the boundaries, he's experimenting, he's exploring, yeah. he's challenging. Like these, these are all good things that I should encourage. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny being the other side of it as a parent now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, for what it's worth, my mom said that I started my teenage years at age three, <laughs> and and I I turned it good enough to be with you here talking today. So uh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> there is hope. <laughs> I, I, I think. I think you, there's um there's a lot to be said for having a bit of a rebellious side because I think it means that you go in search of something different you go in search of new perspectives and I think that's linking back to the question I asked earlier maybe that was part of the driving force that was you know pulling you towards going and looking for other experiences going to Spain going and exploring different cultures and areas of yourself and, and other people in the world because mm. it, it sounds like you were from the age of three ready to to challenge yeah that's one way to put it (laughs) so you come out of university and then you've got a decision to make yeah what was your experience of that moment when you when you leave university did you have clarity on what you were going to do absolutely not (laughs) 
Absolutely not. I was lost for years, even in my in, even in my first year at Learnably until until I built proper trust, which took me a while because I had previous work experiences that were, let's just say, uh, not uh, not the right environment to build trust. And and so it took me it took me a while to to build trust at Learnably and like big massive props to to Raj who was my manager who's the CEO who was my manager when I first arrived, and who just like taught me or or gave me the space and and the security to to be able to build trust in the workplace which I really didn't think was possible. Um, sorry, I, I I went on a tangent and I lost the think, sight of the question. That's all right. Let me let me pull you back on it then because it, it I think it's very it's highly relevant. So two things there. You you were saying that you were quite lost for a number of years after university. Oh yeah. Which again I don't think is an uncommon thing to happen because it's it's tricky. It, and you you alluded to it earlier on in your um, earlier on when you said that you studied literature but you didn't want to be a literature teacher. And that's kind of what education leads to isn't it like education leads to education which leads to education and it's there's never it's like the pinnacle of that is to become a lecturer like mm. that's the pinnacle of the yeah. education system but that's not particularly functional or useful and it certainly isn't for everyone so well that's yeah that's why i left the the university because i initially started doing a research master uh master's to to in linguistics in science languages and and the vibe was awful. Everyone was like, oh, I'm more clever than mm. you and I've discovered this and you haven't discovered that. And you're like being reductive on how you approach this. And I was like, guys, <laughs> don't we have better things to do? Like building up on whatever it is that each other is, is working right. on. Can't we just like pull each other upwards like this? I'm, <laughs> I'm, out. I'm out. And that's how I left. And then after university, to your to your question, I was completely lost and the reason why I mentioned Raj in the first place is like even in my first moments at Learnably every 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 month in my head I'd be like okay I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to become a chef no I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to become a teacher no I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to start painting right. and that that happened from like my la last moments at university all the way until less frequently so um, as I started building my career, but all the way until probably a few years ago. Wow. I think all the way until I found a, a community that um, really helped me anchor myself in, in this career. Community is a great word. Um, another word that you used earlier in relation to Raj is that he gave you that, that space to build trust. So interesting to pick up both of those so what was it that Raj did specifically that gave you that trust and that freedom to find a place in that community that you felt that you could build on and you could you felt that you were in the right place for you well he he was candid when he needed to and um he I don't know, believed in my potential to, to your point about human potential. Mm. And um, I saw that as an opportunity and, and kind of, kind of started running with it. Um, but he was, yeah, he would give me feedback when I wouldn't do something in the right way or with the right results. And, and that I think helps build 
trust because but with a balance of empathy of mm -hmm. course if you only focus on like this is not right it, it, it doesn't necessarily build the trust um but really encouraging also focusing on like asking me coaching questions right. which again i i thought that i was just kind of in my um which is the case for a lot of people right i come to work because i need to pay for rent and it is transactional because I am seen and used as a tool, right. which, um, and, and he really did not frame me as a worker, as an employee in that way at all. It was it, like, he enabled the space for, for that conversation around, you know, who are you? How can you, how can you tap into who you are to do your absolute best work? How can I enable you to do, to perform at your best? by helping you find your motivations, your strengths. Um, and that was, that was quite transformational. Yeah, that's awesome. And so many people don't get, they don't meet that Raj, they don't meet that person that yeah. gives them that opportunity to, to answer those questions about themselves. Who am I? What do I enjoy? What can I be good at? What do I want to be good at? And then you, yeah, and you've got the pyramid of needs as well, right? Mm. Where if you don't have physical security, you can't, like the, the, the top of the pyramid is self-fulfillment, but if you don't have physical security, you can't start building the foundations right. that are going to lead you to that. As, no, it's really interesting, actually. It, I've, I've, I've started to frame the work that I'm doing with SapienX as engineering the physical and psychological environment for culture and people to thrive, because that's really what it comes down to, to mm. your point. It's like, those are the bits that we can control. Like We can actually build the physical and psychological environments and help people find like you say that comfort in there that allows them to challenge and be curious and explore but also perform and exceed and all of the things that we want to happen but you're so right it's that mm -hmm. it's that hierarchy of needs we need to get those foundations in place first around physical and psychological safety before anything else can happen right mm -hmm. very interesting so obviously that well i'm saying obviously i'm assuming that experience then mm -hmm. is what propelled you in the direction of people experience and employee experience and, and where you spent the last couple of years focused. Yeah, I so I got that promotion. So Raj was my manager and then I got that promotion into into being the first people person. By then I reported to someone else. Um, and and I find myself in a role where I'm the first people person. I'm also the only people person. I have zero experience. And I'm, I have all the energy and will in the world. And I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to do? So, and this, I think, is, is what's called, like, co-creation. Mm -hmm. um, like, looking at the user experience. As I just turn to the employees and go, what do you need from me? Right. <laughs> Um, and by asking that, and then of course, always running it past my manager so that I have, well, the support and structure and, and the business needs, um, nudges at this point, cause I'm super junior. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand business clearly enough. Um, but so having those nudges from my manager is how I found that, you know, doing my, what I started doing my work in the overlap between what people ask and what can be delivered in a way that enables business growth. Awesome. 
And so that was the sort of starting motion. Um, as you're getting started you with that, yeah. sorry, just just for context, for me as well, more than anything, but I think also for, for listeners, at that point, what's, what stage is Learnably at? How, how many employees, where is oh, it? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so when I joined Learnably in 2018, we were 10. Wow. When I got, when I became a people person, we were probably between 12 and 15. Um, and then throughout that experience uh we grew to 50. Wow. okay nice that's a really really cool growth to be part of and it sounds like the i think putting a people person even someone who's just going to go and experiment and find the way was was about the right time that sort of 10 to 15 persons about the right time i would say oh yeah very serendipitous timing mm. because of course the business needed that person right. and i was like i want to be that person <laughs> so i got i got really um yeah, really lucky there. That's awesome. That's really cool. So you you found yourself in that position. And one of the things I really liked was that you you started by asking questions. You said that, actually, I don't know exactly what I need to do because I'm fairly junior. So I'm going to go and ask employees what it is that they want and, and start there. Mm. I think that's a... Well, question number one, was that just an intuition that that was the right thing to do? I don't think I can't think of what else I could have done. Like, I mean, I had mentors who would also inject some technical expertise in what I was doing, but I had way more access to my colleagues than I had to my mentors. Also, so it's a mix of. I'm not. I'm not like a. It's. It's not just intuition. I think it's also just basically what what was in front of me. The the reason I ask is because actually a lot of, or I've I've witnessed in the past a lot of people functions actually more mature people functions to be fair rather than new ones. Sometimes they forget to do that. Like they forget to engage their user group, which is employees. They forget to seek and ask what is it that you actually want from this experience. What do you want out of work? What should this be for you? That that question a lot of times is is overlooked, which is why I. I picked out it was great that that's where you started mm. sort of intuitively that's was your default mode I think the the competitive advantage that I had there is that no one taught me anything whereas right. if you don't think to include the voice of the employee as your user perhaps um, you have a background where you've been taught differently and so if you've been taught that something else works like at what point do you really need to challenge that if you're just cruising? Um, yeah, definitely. So I think that there's a there's a circumstantial element there, and that yeah, paradoxically, the fact that I knew nothing about people is um, what helped me approach it in a different way. And we and we come back to that theme of curiosity because I guess it was that your natural curiosity to go and explore that led you to go and ask those questions. I should think um, that's really cool that you were. Uh, in the in the right place at the right time but you had done the work and you'd done the growth to have that opportunity so talk me through what happened next then so that 13 people through to 50 people what's been your experience in learnably of that and what projects and things have you been working on in the people space sure um i had a great i had a great time i had a great experience um, and the kind of work that I did was across the employee journey, across the employee experience, just getting the basics in place. 
So um, employer branding, um, employer value proposition. The first project that I worked on um, that actually kind of led to that promotion was building an open sourced employee guide, uh, which would help give clarity to our people internally, but also duplicate as um, double up, sorry, as um, as a as a marketing piece right. when you uh, and not just marketing, also a clarity piece. If you're a candidate and you want to join a, a company, do you know what you're you're getting into? Right. Um, and that helps people make confident decisions. Plus, the things that we had to offer were, were pretty good, so so it would just help build that trust up front. Um, and give people the information they needed to make an informed decision. I did want to ask and then on that from well, there. Sorry, just before we, sorry. we, we jump on, it's okay. Uh, I've been really fascinated by the amount of open source work that Learnably do. So we could circle back to it or or we could pick it up now, but I wondered what, what was it that, again, was it intuition? Was it something else? Was it a strategic decision to open source beyond what you were just sharing about? that engagement piece because it's been such I think probably one of the things that Learnably is most known for in my circle anyway is all that open source content that you provide it's not it's not me at all um it's it's all of us it's seeing other companies do it it's um my manager forwarded me the Blendall employee guide which was one of the earliest ones to be open sourced that was uh, part of the ones that were featured on the Better Wiki, uh, which is a Notion hub that kind of lists um, open source guides and kind of open source people things, um, which is a fantastic source of, of information. And we all kind of thought like, yeah, this is cool. I was like, I want to do this. And we talked about it. I, I can't even pin who made the decision. It was a collective decision. Um, and then I owned the project. But lines were already starting to move. And then from there, um, it's just asking yourself, like, why couldn't we open source this? Is there a reason why it shouldn't be? There, we don't open source everything. Mm. There's some stuff that's confidential. There's some stuff that's sensitive. There's some stuff that is protected. But, I mean, a policy on... Um, like something that that's quite you know I don't know like uh, general stuff would yeah. yeah what's your what's your what's your approach to well being like there's nothing secret there right. um, and if you open source it you're gonna help your community you're gonna help other companies you're gonna help the people who potentially want a job um, you're gonna help your people internally. So it's just a win-win-win-win-win situation. Nice. Oh, it's really cool. I, I've loved. Uh, I've loved seeing all the open source content coming out of Learnably. So thank you from my regard. I'm sure many of our listeners have, have used it and engaged with it too. So I'm sure. I'm sure there's a few that will be thanking you through the speakers. <laughs> well, I mean, and giving credits where it's due. Um, Lauren Gomez is also a big, a big proponent of open sourcing our work. She's, she's. Um, my manager and the head of people at Learnably. So yeah, nice. hi Lauren. Props to Lauren. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. Appreciate it. <laughs> so, so bring bring us up to date then. So your your current role um, and what you've been working on over the last year or so. 
um, is is coming to an end, actually, isn't it? And you're springboarding off into ventures new. But what have you been doing over the last year? And where are you now in your role and also in your in your relationship with the people function? Still in love, very much in love. Um, <laughs> very strong relationship, going well. Um, and what I've been doing in the past year is working closely with Lauren on how can we enable performance at Learnably internally? So Learnably is a tool that enables performance in client companies. But for us internally, like what are the structures that we need? What are the tools that we need to enable performance? So we, um, well, I worked on evolving the company values for scale. So um, making sure that they're clear, actionable, tangible, turn those values into behaviors and the behaviors are how we define, how we expect people to show up at work. Um, and if you want a great article on that, Thomas Fosner from um, Juro wrote a piece on the Chart Hop blog that I highly recommend. Awesome. And then um, a career framework because, well, how you do what you do is the values, but what you're expected to do in your role that's the career framework at what level, within what scope, um, what is what is your specific role expertise and so on. So that was part of it. And then the two together, how do we articulate, how do we leverage those structures to, to enable performance? What's the process for performance enablement? How often, um, who's involved, uh, what's the tool and and so on. And so the, the principles that we used that we leaned on were something that's really high touch, um, but really low effort, ideally. Right. So something that's like small and often. Right. So that's why the performance work at Learnably today is once a month, um, manager and their reports have a performance snapshot conversation, which isn't something that we add on top, right? It's just part of your one-to-one. -one. It should only be a recap of what you speak about every week, because right. we also ask of people that they talk about performance. It's a big word, but all it takes is what have you achieved this week? Mm -hmm. What would you do differently? What are you going to achieve next week? Those three questions on a weekly basis, and then your performance snapshot all of a sudden is nothing but a recap of um, what's been said. We recommend that people do just a few bullet points, uh, spend no longer than an hour on putting the performance snapshot together. And then um, two indicators come out of that, which allows us to measure performance as a trend mm -hmm. rather than more static data points. And what doing it as a trend allows, besides the fact that it's more fluid and, and more light, uh, um, is also that it's not like, oh my God, there's the one performance review once a year. And if it doesn't go well, like right. <laughs> my stability, my finances, everything is at stake. A lot of things are at stake. So, and, and there's recency bias. Um, right. so that's why we're trying to, to combat in terms of, in terms of outcomes is to have something that's more reflective of the work that's happening across the year. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a... and we've improved performance by ten percent quarter on quarter with this. Oh, wow. so it works. Okay, I mean at least so far. <laughs> that, and that's the sort of thing that that makes people sit up and listen when there's actually some measurable 
um, data to to validate the the performance improvement. So I guess there's two things to 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 clarify really, or to um, to define. So what is the internal definition of performance at Learnably? What does performance mean? It's the impact that you have in your role. Okay. So how are you today having a positive impact against business goals through the work that you do in your role? Nice. Because I think that's really important to have a clear definition of performance because I think many organizations don't. They've never actually defined what they mean by performance. Mm. And I think that's a one of the reasons that people get a bit scared about the performance conversation because as you as you rightly have pointed out it should be an ongoing conversation and i love the idea of performance of a trend rather than it being a linear high performance low performance <laughs> and we're going to measure it on these dates and those dates because that's a moment in time isn't it it's a snapshot rather than a reflection of the of the true uh, experience of, a, of an individual so i love that idea of performance measuring as a trend and the project itself is such a big piece that um, we've broken it down into measuring performance, define, sorry, let me start again. We've broken it down between um, defining performance, which is you, you can't measure what you can't define right. and you can't improve what you can't measure. So first is defining performance. What is a high performance culture? What is performance? Then measuring performance, what are the indicators? How often are we um, um, measuring to build that trend? What kind of data points are we looking at? And then you can enable, you can improve. Uh, and yeah. Uh, I think you're, you're spot on because that was my next question was you, you've, you've clearly defined it well. And then uh, my next question was going to be, what, how, are you, how are you measuring that? What, what tools or what methods are you using to measure that performance? We use Leapsum. Nice. Leapsum, um, sort of custom review cycle. Um, we only ask two very simple questions. And how has this person, you know, showed up against um, or championed our values and then one around capabilities? Um, we ask people to add the indicators there the for the self-reflection it's we ask people to use the indicators but whether or not they want to write something and put down some bullet points it's completely up to them because what matters ultimately this whole work only exists for one reason it's to enable people to have the right conversation to enable their performance so everything that we do is so that a manager and their report can have a helpful conversation that helps them go in the right direction together, um, which is why it, it's optional for, for the self-reflection. For the manager, though, because the expectations of a manager in as part of their role, right, is to enable their team to perform. And so um, we're, we're asking that they do put down at least bullet points um nice and yeah that happens in leapsum and happens every month and our wonderful uh people partner steward hello steward <laughs> uh, is is the one who runs those um now that they've been kicked off yeah that's really awesome i think the it's so valuable for people to hear sort of 
end-to-end, -end, if you like, method and process to, to do that, because so many companies struggle with how to define and how to measure, how to track performance. And I think it's uh, this time of year in particular, when <laughs> unfortunately there's still many, many people that are going to have to go through the loathed annual performance review. Um, and my heart goes out to all of you that are having to suffer through that. Um, so this time of year in particular, I think it's really refreshing for people to able to hear there's a, there's, a, there's a different way to do that. There's a more effective way to do that. And actually, well, there's a more human way to do it. And it leads to, as you've shown in your case, 10% month on month performance improvement, which is really impressive numbers. Now, quarter on quarter. Sorry. I wish uh, months on months would be even better, but it's, it's quarter on <laughs> quarter, quarter, on quarter for now. All right. But still, that's mega. That's awesome. Knowing that we've only launched in June, which is why we're measuring on quarter, because right. uh, we had some catching up to do to start with. That's very, very cool. So the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about was method or ways of working, because a phrase that's appeared over the last couple of years that is becoming more prominent is people as product. And I know that you're an exponent and a champion of, of that way of working. So people as product, what is it? So it's people experience as a product is framing the experience that employees have at work in a similar way that you frame the experience that users have of a product. Because if you think about it, um, and this is an analogy that I am stealing from Jessica Zwan. If you don't know her and you're interested mm -hmm. in people as a product, uh, people experience as a product, definitely follow her. Uh, she's an excellent thought leader. And, and this analogy is, um, if, you're, if you get a wine subscription and they send you great wine in the beginning, and then after a few months, you start having wine that's really not to your taste. If it happens once, it's okay. But if it happens six months in a row, you're going to look at a competitor. Right. And it's the same in, well, particularly in the tech industry, because a lot of our people have the, um, the, the freedom of movement to go and, and find another role. So why would people stay in a company if they're not having a good experience, specifically in startups where um, the businesses have to be creative to be attractive uh, because they can't offer necessarily as much as more established businesses. Right. And so how can we yeah, leverage the methodologies from the product realm? Um, but not only, it could also be from, from like, marketing, uh, from user experience, from customer success, uh, from service operations, to build the best experience for our people, for our users. So um, HR and compliance and legal and paralegal is all, is all a part of that. It's not something that doesn't belong in there, it's, but it's, it's part of, of the operational aspect of it. And then you've got the experiential aspect of it. So how can your people partner um, act as a customer success manager right. to your managers and leaders uh, so that they can upskill and give the best experience to their people? How can um, your programs or projects or, or, or design uh, for us team build the experiences that are the structures, the processes that are going to enable your people to do their best work. 
um, how can service ops, you know, like in a world where on most websites you'd expect an answer from, from the service ops team within seconds in the live chat right. through, um, you know, like an intercom kind of small window. How can, how can you have a, a service ops team internally that has a great service level agreement in terms of speed of response to your people? And just provide an experience that's as qualitative and and effective uh, as a user experience, but enabling performance in your business. That's such a good definition. Um, I've not actually heard it sort of articulated as clearly as that. So I know that's going to be hugely valuable to to the listeners of this that are are hearing the phrase "people experience the product" and are not quite sure what it is or how to interact with it. So from your experience then, how, and I don't, I don't know, maybe this is the wrong question to ask, but if someone's coming at this for the first time and they like the idea of what you've just described and they want to try and implement that in their own organization, where can, where can people leaders or where can the business start? People leaders should start by reading Juby Yao's blog. There you go. It is, she has written like, sees, like, like she, for, she uh, structured it like a, like a show. So you've got seasons and within seasons, you've got episodes and she takes you through Griner's curve of, of um, like the challenges that a company faces at different stages. And she talks to how to structure your team, that a team, a people team that's fit for purpose for the challenges of a startup focusing on the experience, how to walk a mile in your employees' shoes. Um, it is like, it is a, a step-by-step guide and she has put such clear examples in there from uh, a mock company. Um, I would strongly recommend that you start there. That's awesome. Uh, well, we'll actually put that in the show notes, I think, because I think it's worth linking because yeah sorry i'm making i'm giving you like a a whole list no, of resources no it's perfect it's exactly what this podcast for really because it's about like i say multiplying human potential and, and we we're trying to give people access to experiences to resources that allow them to go and do that in their own lives but also from an organizational perspective take that into the business so i think it's perfect mm. that's awesome yeah so we will definitely make sure that's that's in the show notes because it's super super useful for for someone who wanted to say take action tomorrow or today, is there something super simple that you would say start here, do this first? You can't go anywhere if you don't know where you are. If you look at a GPS, right, you can't go to point B without knowing where point A is. Right. So a quick and easy pulse survey. Asking, asking, like, what is your ENPS? What are the the net promoter scores across key categories for the employer employee um, experience? If you don't know how to, you know, sort of categorize those, look at the Leapsum FAQs. Uh, they've got the list of their questions on their um, categories, like, uh, like you know, well being, environment, uh, growth. Uh, and and so on. I'm not going to do the full list because I could I couldn't top of my head. But um, just figuring out like what is the status quo, right. 
And that's on the, on the people side. But as we said, the, the people experience sits at the intersection between people's needs and business needs because it's a mutually beneficial relationship, right? You have, you, you do your best work because you, because, because the, in an employee scenario, because you're a part of the business and then the business needs to enable you to do your best work and the business grows and so on and so forth. Um, so there's employee satisfaction and then there's employee performance as well. Like, are we achieving our objectives? What, how is the alignment between the outcome and the strategy we're trying to achieve? Right. And so looking at the overlap, the intersection between um, employee engagement and employee performance, which if you're using Leapsim like I am, like we are, mm-hmm. then uh, it just is a feature that's built in. So basically go and speak to your uh, your your nearest Leapsim representative and find out how they can <laughs> yeah. help you. I swear I get no commission for this. I am just I'm just infatuated. That's the best kind of advocate though, isn't it? That someone actually uses the product and finds great value in it and wants to share it with others. It's the it's the best kind of advocacy. Uh, but I think the the central to your point though, leaps them aside, I think is a great point. Like understand where you are before you start plotting where you want to go, I think is a great, great piece of advice. And and one more sort of like myth i guess around this that i wondered if we could dispel do do we have to know loads about the product and design process to engage with this way of working i mean it helps but don't get lost in don't get lost in in labels right um if you're doing like it doesn't need to be called a user interview to be a user interview. It doesn't need to follow the specific structure of jobs to be done to be an effective um, discovery call. Um, It helps to have a broad understanding of what tools are available so you can tap into what you need when you need to, but um, don't fall into the trap of, you know, spending a whole week on the definition of done of of specifics of your OKRs because maybe you're a small enough team that a, a statement for what the definition of done is is the north star you need to keep going in the right direction. So, retro engineering, what level of detail do you need for the size you are? Uh, it's not about it's not about doing everything by the book. It's about tapping into what's out there to do your best work. I love that. I love that as a response because I think that's a, the, fear, the fear that I've been picking up on or the the unease that I've been picking up on a little bit is that as, you know, particularly if you're someone who's been in the people's space for a while, these new ways of working and these new terminologies arrive and it can, I, I'm sure, feel quite daunting. Um, but you're so right. Like it's we shouldn't get hung up on the definitions of things. It's more about the actual, the outcome and the impact, isn't it? So I love that. Just just knowing what your definition of done is, is a great place to start and you can call it whatever you like, but as long as you know what you're aiming for, um, that's awesome. And find learning resources that use plain words, right? just simple terms. If it sounds too convoluted, then it's not because you're not where you need to be to understand blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's not a good resource. Move on. Love that. And again, an awesome piece of advice, because I think we can all get stuck into that sometimes where we're trying to become a technical expert in something when we don't need to be. (laughs) We just need to know enough to get going, right? Exactly. Awesome. 
one foot after the other. There you go. <laughs> a phrase I used that I think I stole from from Frozen of all places or Frozen 2 is uh, <laughs> just do the next right thing. <laughs> oh, it's Frozen 2. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. It's such a great it's such a great, great line, isn't it? Just do the next right thing and you can't go too far wrong. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So I want to turn the conversation back towards you a little bit more directly. So to round off the the podcast conversations, I like to focus on the um the theme of of thriving as an individual and as an organization. So I wonder, in your personal, professional life to thrive, what are the things that you do that are most important to you to allow yourself that space to thrive as an individual? Hmm. That's a difficult one because I don't always. I am definitely guilty of turning into a computer goblin at night and and sometimes that not it comes from the right place like i'm i'm very uh, enthralled by by the work and so i i put a lot in just because i'm having a lot of fun but i need to not hyper focus and and remember to give space to the other things that matter so um i never work weekends strong uh i after many many months of uh, convincing from my girlfriend I've, I've started going to the swimming pool once a week so so that's that's really nice it helps me um, I guess like stretch and, and spend time with friends nice. uh, who come with me and and just like have your priorities really really clear because I know that for me personally it's like my partner, my friends, and work comes after that. Right. So if anyone like really needs me in the middle of the day, I'm just going to tell my team I'm off, turn my computer off and go. And there's no second thoughts about this. And that level of clarity really helps me when I go too far, when I veer too far, um, often into just working too much because because I, I lose track of everything else. It's right. It's... It's not even from pressure or or from like no one is forcing me to do this. I do it to myself right. because I'm having a lot of fun. Um, my girlfriend again made the parallel between. She said that the, your my relationship to work is a bit like the relationship some people might have to video games. Right. Um, it's it's very exciting. I love it. I get so much from it. It's very stimulating, um, but sometimes it's a little bit consuming. Um, right. not, not in a bad way. I've never gone <laughs> off limits and Learnably also gives access to Oliva to all of the employees. So um, it's a conversation that I've been able to explore and with my therapist um, more, more freely and, and safely. And now here with everyone who's listening. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I think the, the, the idea of knowing your priorities and, and honoring them so that you so that well knowing your priorities so you know when you're dishonoring them right and you need to make an adjustment to come back to it and i think it's awesome to have access to to therapy because actually i think it's something that would help everyone i think there's a bit of a misconception around therapy that you have to be in some way um suffering or ill or there's some sort of condition 
that you have to take to therapy but actually therapy is just a really good conversation isn't it about understanding self and others it's great oh yeah absolutely absolutely and that's why it's also so important that it's um made available through work and that there's a quality like therapy style matching service which Oliva provides because like I wouldn't know what type of therapy is right for me and also right. it's allowed me to do to have conversations that are preventative so I'm not struggling with my relationship to work at the moment but I know that it's a very intense relationship and so I'd rather be able to explore it safely with a qualified uh professional so that I understand my motivations I'm able to unpack and unpick it a little bit so I can own it and make more informed decisions and maybe have like the gift of foresight a little bit um, but this is not me necessarily pouring my heart out it's it's me saying you absolutely should go to therapy before anything turns into a challenge if you can which not everyone can uh, and if you can't there's uh, this charity called the new normal which it's not therapy but it's it's peer conversations um i know they specialize around grief at the moment but they're expanding their services and it's just free peer conversations to have a safe space to sh uh, to talk about shared experiences so there are alternatives out there that are emerging um that are free alternatives as well just putting it out there no thank you for doing that because it's important to highlight because it's so important and as you said the pre preventative element of it is is critical isn't it why we we shouldn't wait until we're in crisis to seek help um and and just general i i think coaching's a good someone someone uh someone said to me that the coaching is the cousin of therapy or something like that it was a good phrase anyway but a good coach can give you the same mm -hmm. kinds of relationship just that explorative understanding why you're feeling certain things understanding your goals your ambitions your visions your 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 priorities like just whether it's a friend a partner a coach a therapist a peer wherever you're getting that or you do that in in your program right there is a big element of that that's that's really well orchestrated well thank you for saying so and and yeah absolutely because it's, it's so important that peer-to-peer -peer sharing the the engineering the space for those conversations to happen is really important and yeah i, I was very intentional about trying to build that into the program so yeah, i appreciate you calling that out thank you Marie. <laughs> very kind <laughs> well thank you for doing it oh, i appreciate that thank you so the final question of today is taking an organizational view then and we probably touched on a few of the themes here that we can carry across but what are the either three things or the top things that an organization should be focused on to create environments where their people can thrive um the first one is clarity mm because clear is kind that's a quote i can't remember <laughs> who it's from but someone said it and i love it very good clear is kind um i mean circling back to the anecdote about you know building um, raj building trust when i first arrived at learnably um it was about having clear expectations as well and often when you scale those get lost into the ether 
or into the chaos. Right. Um, and so creating structure from chaos, as uh, Maria Campbell said in the, another podcast about uh, the people experience, which is really great, is is really important. So having clarity and then having the structures in place that enable to take that clarity and turn it into a forward-facing conversation. So enabling people to have um, the right conversations. What we have is, yeah, clarity, enabling structures, and then wonderful con forward-facing conversations. I love that. What a brilliant framework for, for thriving organizations. And it doesn't have to be complicated, does it? You know, those things are easy. No, usually if it is, then like... <laughs> Uh, you 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 should take a breather, step back, zoom out, come back to it, and karate chop a lot out. <laughs> Simplicity is the best remedy, and I'm guilty as everyone of starting with when you start something, you brainstorm. It's like a lot of information, a lot of knots, a lot of over convolutions, um, and and so taking a break, stepping out, and if you don't have the space for it, that's when inviting others to share feedback and have an external perspective onto your work is really helpful. But the end product should be as simple as possible. Well, I think we round that off by repeating clarity is kindness. I love that. It's a great, it's a great phrase and summarizes it really well. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today, Marie. It's been really good fun, actually. I've really enjoyed getting to know you a bit better, hearing more about your experiences. And thank you so much for all that you've shared and the resources that you've referenced that people can go and follow up on. But uh, yeah, thank you so much. And where can where can people find you and engage with you, Marie, if they want to follow up this conversation directly? On LinkedIn. It's my favorite social media. Yeah. Uh, just LinkedIn, probably forward slash Marie dash Krebs, K-R-E-B-S. That's me. Uh, but thank you so much for having me, Luke. I've I've talked a lot and I think what I'd love to here is like a podcast episode like this but about you oh, so what, whoever hosts it if you manage to do a double act where you ask yourself that would be super <laughs> fun but if not um like having a guest in get a guest guest if that's a phrase nice. to ask you the same questions i'd be really curious about that i'd love to get to know you a little more um in that way oh thank you i will i will take you up on that i will i will make a commitment to do that before Christmas. Oh, cool. So you've got my, my word and my promise. I'll make it happen. Nice. <laughs> Thank you so much, Marie. Real, real pleasure to know you. Real pleasure to share this time with you. And I can't wait to watch you flourish and thrive in your life and career and hopefully find some ways to collaborate along the way. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Human Potential Multiply. Please remember to like and subscribe wherever you're listening. And I hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore ways to thrive as individuals, teams and organisations.